Welcome back to Season 2 of the Clean Water Pod, the show about the challenges and successes in restoring and protecting water quality. My name's Jeff Burkus, and I'm talking to dedicated professionals across the country to build an understanding of how policy and science work together to meet the goals of the Clean Water Act for fishable, swimmable, and drinkable water quality in our nation's waters. Today, we're gonna talk about the Chesapeake Bay, which is one of those water bodies that all water quality professionals know at least a little bit about because it's one of the most studied watersheds in our country. We wanted to focus in on an aspect of work in the Bay that you might not have heard much about, the Bay Restoration Fund. But for those that may not know much about the Chesapeake Bay, I just wanted to cover a brief history. The original Chesapeake Bay Agreement, which we'll talk about in the episode, was a pledge signed in 1983, so it's not quite as old as I am. This agreement recognized that a cooperative approach was going to be necessary to address pollution issues in the Bay. It was signed by the governors of Maryland, Pennsylvania, and Virginia, the mayor of Washington, D.C., the administrator of the EPA, and the chair of the Chesapeake Bay Commission. Now, all of those people were referred to as the Chesapeake Executive Council at the time. In 1987, the agreement set numeric goals for reducing pollution and restoring the bay. In particular, trying to reduce nitrogen and phosphorus going into the bay by 40%. They set a goal of the year 2000 to try to reach that. In 1992, they amended the goal to try to address nutrients upstream in the bay's rivers. So understanding a more watershed approach, uh, in addition to a few other things. In the year 2000, the Bay Partners signed an agreement with specific goals aimed at reducing pollution, some habitat restoration work, protecting some living resources, promoting sound land use practices, and then also some public engagement to help the public understand what the goals were of the plan. At this time, the states of Delaware, New York, and West Virginia also officially joined restoration efforts. And then in 2009, an executive order called for the federal government to renew restoration and protection efforts in the watershed. The council set short-term milestones to help speed up some of those restoration efforts. So already we're talking about 30 years of effort. And then in 2010, the Chesapeake Bay total maximum daily load was established, which focused on nutrients and sediment entering the bay. So from that TMDL document, which again, we talked about in season one to lay the foundation of what TMDLs are, individual watershed implementation plans were created to try to help meet the goals of that larger TMDL document. Around the time of the TMDL, the Chesapeake Bay program worked on a new agreement to continue advancing restoration and try to align the federal goals with state goals and local goals all together. A new Chesapeake Bay watershed agreement was signed in 2014, with additional amendments happening in the year 2020. This agreement includes signatories from the entire watershed, which, you know, just listing all of those states gives you an idea how big the Chesapeake Bay watershed is. And that agreement focuses on restoring both the bay and tributaries and the surrounding lands. So as you can tell from the summary, it's a very big watershed. It has a long history. We're talking 40 plus years of history of trying to work and restore the Chesapeake Bay watershed. There's been some incredible progress and so much of the the talk that goes around the Chesapeake Bay, when you go to conferences or when you, when you, when you work in this field, 
you hear a lot about the water quality specifically. But one of the things that I've found incredibly interesting was this idea of the Bay Restoration Fund. And so we're going to talk to Bob Summers, who has an extensive history with the Chesapeake Bay and the policy and how things led to where they're at today. Waleed Safiri, he's an engineer for the Maryland Department of the Environment. And then we're going to talk to Cheryl Lewis, who is a manager of the town of Oxford in Maryland. So one of the small towns in Maryland. And she gives a really great perspective on the work living and working in one of these cities. For this episode, we're actually starting off with an interview that I did last year. Most of our interviews through this podcast are done through the internet, but occasionally you get a chance to sit down with somebody one-on-one. I had that opportunity last year at the annual TMDL workshop where I got to speak to some people and you'll hear some of those interviews over this season. The first one is with my very good friend, Kathy Stecker, who I have known for a very long time. We had this little room set up at this workshop where people came in, we had the microphone set in front of them, and Kathy's take on it was maybe a little bit different than what I had anticipated. It feels like I'm being interrogated. I know. Where were you on the night? Yeah, really, I don't remember. Or, yeah, I did it. (laughs) I'm starting to wish everybody had to do this. I promise you it wasn't that bad. So she talked to us about the Chesapeake Bay and the Chesapeake Bay Restoration Fund. She has a very personal and professional relationship with this body of water. So it's really great to be able to hear from her what she's been working on and one of the things that she sees as so impactful. So I'm going to let her set up the Bay Restoration Fund before we get into our full interviews on the subject. I'm Kathy Stecker and I work for Maryland Department of the Environment and I'm a planner and mainly work on bay restoration. To go all the way back to when I was a child, I grew up spending summers on the Chesapeake Bay, became interested in the critters that lived in it, and went on to get a marine science degree and worked in South Carolina on lakes and looking at what problems the lakes had and then went on to North Carolina and worked there on river basins and then ended up here in Maryland again uh, working on the bay. I feel like I have to start with the Chesapeake Bay Mm -hmm. and the problems that it's had with nutrients and that were first recognized in probably the 70s, the 1970s, and a lot of voluntary measures were attempted to clean it up you know, because it's a huge watershed. It's not just Maryland. It's Pennsylvania, Virginia, D.C., West Virginia, New York, Delaware. <laughs> so it was always a partnership among the those jurisdictions and EPA. In 2010, a TMDL was developed for nutrients in the Bay. And then things got very serious with all the jurisdictions making serious commitments to get nutrient reductions. And someone described it as trying to run up a down escalator, that there's a lot of things like population growth, growth in the number of animals that are kind of working against the efforts to reduce. So while there's been progress, and a great deal of progress in Maryland, uh, there hasn't been 
as much as we'd like to see in the bay itself. The bay has not improved as much as we would have hoped it would by now. The state of Maryland early on, even before the TMDL, recognizing that any restoration effort would cost a lot of money. And so how to put aside some funds to continue to fund the restoration. Maryland legislators introduced a bill and the law passed for a Bay Restoration Fund where everyone whose waste is treated by a wastewater treatment plant or a septic system contributes to this fund, a small amount every year. And that started in 2004 and it's still in place today and it's been very successful. It has funded wastewater treatment plant upgrades where they're state-of-the-art now and septic tank upgrades and cover crops for agriculture. And I'm joined by Bob Summers. Bob, welcome to the Clean Water Pod. Thanks for having me. Well, Bob, first, before we get into the project and your experience with it, tell me a little bit about yourself, how long you've been around Maryland, and uh, your interest in water quality work. Well, I, I grew up in Maryland from about the age of six on. I've always been very active in hiking and swimming and camping and boating. And of course, in Maryland, that means Chesapeake Bay. So I've spent a lot of time on the water over the years. I actually stayed here and got my PhD in environmental engineering and went to work for the Maryland Department of the Environment on the Chesapeake Bay Restoration Program. And I started at about the same time that the first Chesapeake Bay Agreement was signed in 1983 and spent my over 32 years with the state of Maryland environmental programs, working primarily on water pollution issues and the restoration of Chesapeake Bay. But the last uh, four years of my tenure at the Department of the Environment, I was appointed Secretary of the Environment and worked on water, air, land, waste, all kinds of environmental issues. So I have a very broad background in environmental science and engineering. That's great. And like you said, if you're in that area, it's all about the Chesapeake Bay. For those of you that have been there, you have no doubt noticed all of the now entering the Chesapeake Bay watershed signs that uh, are seemingly everywhere around that area. If you haven't been there, be, be sure to watch for that if you travel out that way. Um, but we've talked to some of your colleagues about the Bay Restoration Fund, and I want to get your perspective on that project, uh, where it started, and your perspective of, of how it's set up and how it's working. The legislation that created the Bay Restoration Fund was signed in 2004. Starting in 2001, my job at the Department of the Environment was Director of the Water Management Administration, 
which is responsible for all of the regulation of water pollution. And at that time, also uh, what we called environmental financing administration, which uh, provides funding from the federal government and the state to upgrade and develop wastewater treatment plants, drinking water plants, and other critical water-related infrastructure in the state. So I was in charge of all of these programs. So give us the basic scaffolding of the, the fund. How, do, how is it set up? Um, how are those funds administered in terms of like, what's the scope of, of what, they can, uh, what they can address? Uh, that, that kind of basic scaffolding. So the basic uh, idea of the legislation was to add a fee to water and wastewater bills for everyone in the state from individual homeowners to apartment dwellers to the biggest industries in the state. And the fee was initially set in 2004 at $2.50 a month or $30 a year for what was called an equivalent dwelling unit, meaning the amount of water and wastewater produced by a typical home is called an equivalent dwelling unit or EDU. And so if a large industry used the equivalent of 10 times the water of a typical home, their fee would be 10 times uh, the fee for an individual home. So the idea was that everybody was paying in proportion to the use that they made of the water and wastewater for this fund, which is used to upgrade wastewater treatment plants and remove nitrogen and phosphorus, the main pollutants uh, in wastewater affecting Chesapeake Bay. And so it gained wide acceptance across the state. Of course, there are always people who object to any new fee, but because Chesapeake Bay is so central to Maryland, so important to the citizens of Maryland. This uh, legislation actually had unprecedented support across party lines. Both Democrats and Republicans embraced uh, the legislation. And the fee uh, now today, according to the latest reports, has generated almost $2 billion in funding for restoration of Chesapeake Bay. And it's become uh, a critical part of the Maryland's restoration efforts for Chesapeake Bay and has resulted in upgrading the state's major wastewater treatment plants across the whole state, uh, 67 treatment plants. Uh, there are only two left remaining to be completed at this point. And this will allow Maryland to meet its goal for nitrogen and phosphorus reduction for the Chesapeake Bay by 2025. 
we will still need to do more than anybody who's looked at what's going on in Chesapeake Bay knows that progress has not been what people would have hoped. But uh, this particular legislation, the Bay Restoration Fund, has really been uh, a star performer for Maryland and the Bay region as a whole. And there's been great interest in how we did this, how we keep it going, and it has been very successful. A couple follow-up questions to that. So you said that the the initial fee was set at that two dollars and fifty cents um, per month for a typical household. Is that still the same fee today? Actually, in uh, 2012, the fee was increased to five dollars a month. That was done in order to expand the use of the funds to include not only sewage treatment plant upgrades, but also pollution control from stormwater uh, and other sources, which were really taking away from all of the progress being made on the sewage plants or so-called point sources. So the fund was increased with the specific goal of providing additional money based on the projects that would be most cost-effective, that is, least cost per dollar per pound of nutrient removed. So it all became about how do you get the minimum dollars per pound to uh, improve the efficiency of the Bay Restoration. So it, it became a, an important driver, not just for wastewater treatment plants. It's also being used for on-site uh, sewage systems on rural homes, so-called septic systems, to upgrade them to remove nitrogen. And on cover crops, a big part of the agricultural pollution reduction in Maryland is planting cover crops in the winter, in the season when the crops are not growing. The cover crops can overwinter and take up the nutrient that's left in the soil. And it is actually a very effective way of controlling nutrients. So it's really, it grew from a big focus on sewage treatment plants to a broad-based source of funding for the Bay Restoration. So I want to ask you specifically about the point sources, those wastewater treatment facilities that you, you were talking about. You're, you can almost maybe say mission accomplished, right? You said there are 67. You've only got two left that, that you're working on. Um, so one, when you say you're going in and doing those upgrades, uh, or, or this fund is able to to uh, help fund those upgrades. What specifically are we talking about? Um, are we building new plants? Are we retrofitting the old plants? Um, are, is it a specific technology that, that helps uh, reduce those pollutants? What is it exactly that's happening at those wastewater treatment facilities to get that improvement? Wastewater plants across the state of Maryland vary tremendously in the level of technology that is used. Some are quite old. So, for example, in the city of Baltimore, uh, the Back River Sewage Treatment Plant, the largest one in the state, 
was built back around the turn of the century, 1900, 1910 timeframe. And so a plant like that uh, would be totally renovated, upgraded uh, with new technologies, uh, wastewater technology roughly is broken into primary, which is getting the big pieces out, secondary, taking care of the organic matter and oxygen uh, demand, and tertiary, which involves removing the nutrients. Enhanced nutrient removal funded by the Bay Restoration Fund is the highest level of nutrient removal technologically feasible for a large facility. So uh, what we did was, given the uneven starting point of all the plants, the bill said for the basic primary and secondary treatment, that level was the responsibility of the owner of the wastewater plant. To go to tertiary and remove nitrogen, that became the purview of the Bay Restoration Fund. So engineers at the state would evaluate each plant, look at what was eligible for funding under the Bay Restoration Fund to re remove nitrogen. And that was the part of the plant upgrade that would be paid for. So really the uh, engineers at the state work closely with the engineers at the facility uh, to tease out what was eligible for Bay Restoration Fund, what was eligible for uh, loans uh, from the state revolving fund, and put together a package to upgrade each of the plants. And these uh, plants have been very successful, uh, well-operated plants can achieve essentially uh, limits of technology for nitrogen removal, which is down around two milligrams per liter. A conventional secondary uh, treatment plant would be more like 18 to 20 milligrams per liter. So it's a very significant reduction in nitrogen that this technology allowed us to achieve. And then you talked about the expansion of the fee, which allowed you to get into the non-point sources and the stormwater work. And you talked about cover crops. Um, that obviously is a little bit newer, right? And, and it's a little bit more nebulous to try to get your arms around in terms of how much is out there and, and how many, uh, you know, how many fields you have to work with to be able to get cover crops and, uh, you know, probably some other areas that you're working on, maybe, maybe some no-till or maybe some buffers or something like that. So what would you say is the status of that particular effort? Like, do you feel like you're pretty far into it? You feel like you got a long ways to go? Um, what else are you guys considering in terms of practices, that sort of thing? Well, I think the, um, Non-point source pollution is really, as you've explained, the most difficult to deal with. And what we have tried to do is to put everything into the same currency of pounds of nitrogen removed per level of effort. 
pounds of nitrogen and phosphorus, the two nutrients. So um, looking at the various types of non-point source pollution control practices from cover crops to uh, grass waterways to riparian buffers, that is forested areas along streams. Uh, scientifically, we can measure how much nutrient reduction uh, each of those practices can achieve um, on average. And we can use that as a measure of which is the most cost effective. So how can we get uh, the biggest bang for the buck out of the Bay Restoration Fund by targeting those practices? Now, your large sewage treatment plants have always been the most cost-effective way to go. And we have obviously focused on those. Next, your, your larger, what we call minor plants. Sewage plants are divided in Maryland into two major categories. You've got major plants, which are over a half a million gallons a day, and minor plants that are less than that amount. So we started by upgrading all of the 67 majors. Then we go to what we call the larger minors. Then other practices like cover crops on farm fields are very cost effective. They were an early part of the program. And uh, more expensive things like septic system upgrades are more challenging and, and really uh, turned out to be cost effective in situations only where the, the septic systems were very close to uh, tidal waters, tributaries of Chesapeake Bay. So it's been um, a learning process for everybody, University of Maryland and other scientific institutions around the Bay have put a lot of effort into uh, measuring and documenting the effectiveness of different practices. So it's become a very exacting process to make sure that we are in fact doing the most cost-effective uh, things with this money. Well, Bob, thank you so much for sharing your experience and your expertise and thank you so much for dedicating so much of your career to this important environmental challenge. Thank you. Appreciate it. My name is Walid Safouri, Program Administrator for the Engineering and Capital Projects Program that handle all the capital projects in Maryland Department of the Environment. Walid, welcome to the Clean Water Pod. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, we're really thrilled to have you today, but I want to start off with where you started from. Where did you go to school and how did you get into clean water work? Yes, I went to school at University of Memphis. I have a, BA, a BS in civil engineering. Uh, then after that, I was in the U.S. Army for four years. Then I joined the state as project engineer. I was engineer one, and I've been there since then. And I've been in the same program, uh, which handles, eventually start handling the, uh, uh, the Bay Restoration Fund. Okay, so you started off as an engineer. You went to the Army. 
But why water? You could go do a lot of things with that background. What interested you in water? Well, what interested me in water and, and specifically wastewater is it's very complicated. A lot of people don't know that it has biology, it has chemistry, it has hydraulics. It's very, very interesting and complicated field. And that's that's what what drew me into that field, into this field. And in addition, you know, I feel good about myself a lot of time because I am you know, participating in cleaning the, the water of the bay and the rivers of Maryland. So we've talked about the the bay and all of the challenges. You know, this season is all about nutrients and trying to figure out ways in which to try to reduce those nutrients into our waters so that we can restore them. The, the bay is uh, obviously a, a very large challenge and is a you know multi-decade process, but we're really interested in this particular piece of this, this Bay Restoration Fund, because it has shown so much progress. Um, can you kind of give us a description from your point of view, how the Bay Restoration Fund works? Well, the Bay Restoration Funds, it started by legislation back in 2004, and the it, it levies four, uh, $5 per, per home. And if you have a business or commercial with uh, with more flow, you you, do, you convert it to number of, of homes and you pay five five dollars a month per home. And the fee is collected um, from pretty much all, almost all the all the homes in Maryland, all the homes and businesses in Maryland. And we have two types of funds. One fund goes to the wastewater and that's what I work with and another fund goes to you know septic upgrades and cover crops so these are the two main branches of the of the fund uh, now the wastewater is branched out to different different type of funding or different types of projects uh, the main one is upgrading wastewater treatment plants uh, to what we call enhanced nutrient removal which is uh, allow the treatment plant to achieve three milligram per liter total nitrogen and uh, 0.3 uh, total phosphorus. And these numbers are much lower than what you started up with. You start up with 20 milligram per liter total nitrogen and about three milligram per liter total phosphorus. So that's the main program. So let's start with the point sources. So the wastewater treatment facilities throughout the state how many are there? How many have been upgraded at this point because of the Bay Restoration Fund? And, and where are you at uh, overall with, with that particular piece of this? The, the, we have 67 large, what we call a major wastewater treatment plants. These, these are uh, 0.5 million gallon per day or more. These were targeted first uh, because of their size and uh, so we targeted these plants first. These are almost done. We have only two facilities, one in, in planning and one in construction. So we're almost done with those. After we finish those, we start targeting smaller plants, plants that are less than 0. 0.5 million gallons per day. We have a total of about 300 of them, but we're only targeting about uh, 70 uh, and these are the larger, we call it major minor. So we targeted those because even though they're small, 
they have a lot of loading because of the concentration. Because yeah, so so we we have about out of the 70 that that are eligible, we have about half of them that are in some sort of in some kind of uh, of under either under planning, design, or construction. And we have about 10 of them already in operation, already been upgraded using the Bay Restoration Fund. Uh, so that's that's about it in, ter in terms of the uh, wastewater treatment plants. Uh, and mostly we are focusing on municipal wastewater treatment plants, these uh, treatment plants that, that handle or treat residential wastewater. And residential, and sometimes they have some commercial. How long do you think it'll take before you get to the end of that particular phase of this, where you're working with the, the major miners, the, the smaller ones that are the bigger ones of the smaller ones? We're about halfway into the minor. Probably we hope that by 2030, we'll finish most of the miners as well. You know, the fee is going to be reduced by 2030. So we may start doing, you know, some, some non-point source more. We're already doing some non-point source. We can start doing more of one non-point source. In addition, you need to remember we, you know, the upgrade, you know, from the engineering perspective, is uh, 20 years life cycle. Okay, so you upgrade. We are the first treatment plant we upgraded back in 2010 or so. By 2030, we're gonna have to go back and reinvest in that treatment plant because already past 20 years of life cycle. So it's just, it's a cycle that needs to kind of yes. be revisited. <clears throat> You'll have new technologies that you can incorporate to maybe yes. get even more reduction or those things just need to be replaced. Yes, and the things are gonna get old and you have to maintain them. Otherwise, you know, if, the, if you leave these treatment plants without going back and reinvest in the infrastructure, before you know it, they'll stop achieving, you know, what they're supposed to achieve. Because from the design perspective, the life cycle of the project is 20 years. So let's talk about the other piece. Let's talk about the non-point piece. So what is agriculture like in Maryland? What kind of investments are you making on the agricultural lands? And then are there other non-point projects that you're working on to try to reduce that influence uh, of, of the landscape on the Bay? Well, in terms of agriculture, as part of the Bay, the Bay Restoration Fund, the state the state provide uh, grants for for uh, cover crops. So in the winter, you know, rather than have the you know the field erode and and sediment go into the river, they they uh, they cover you know they put cover crops on the field to prevent that. Uh, in addition, we we have uh, we we provide funding for stream restoration we try to bring the streams back to their natural uh, natural state and under their natural state streams don't pollute under you know the the bad the deteriorated conditions you're you're gonna lose sediment you're gonna lose and and within the sediment you have all the nutrients and all the stuff that we don't need in the bay uh, so when you uh, restore that stream back to its natural phase, you will, you would prevent that, and also you would encourage you know habitat and and different wildlife to live in that area again. Uh, we also fund stormwater bioretention projects. 
And now we got a new law passed for Clean Water Commerce Act. Pretty much with the Clean Water Commerce Act, it's pay for performance. So rather than paying for the project, going from pay for the planning, then pay for the design, then pay for the construction, what we do, we tell, we tell the applicant, well, you go ahead and build your project and show me some nutrient reduction. And when I see the nutrient reduction and verify that you're doing some reduction, I'm going to pay you for the reduction. So the payment is for performance. And by doing that, we're taking the risk away from the state and, and, and the fee payers and into the applicant. Has this approach had overall support by the people of Maryland? Yes, all these Everything we do pass by the General Assembly. Uh, the Bay Restoration Fund and the fee collection passed by the General Assembly, allowing other uh, use of the fund source. When we started the, the BRF, we only can fund treatment plants upgrades. Uh, then the, the, the General Assembly added other uh, eligible use, like, like correcting overflow, sewer overflow. And they also add uh, added septic con connection, and they added uh, stormwater and non-point source to the fund. So they added all these uses. Then later they passed the legislation for the Clean Water Commerce Act that I talked about earlier, which is pretty much pay for performance. In your opinion, why is this approach so well supported by the people of Maryland? Because from Maryland, they, you know, they, they, you know, most of the Chesapeake Bay area is touching Maryland, so it's pretty much, it's our natural resource. You know, you know, it's a huge natural resource for us. You got, you know, uh, tourism on the bay. You got seafood industry. You know, shellfish, crabs. I don't know if you ever been in Baltimore and have, uh, you know, crabs. So you know, all that is like. It's all Maryland resources that we have to protect. So, I'm, and I think that's what brings all you know, all the support, all the public support for the Bay Restoration. All about the crabs. All about the crabs. That's right. We love our <laughs> crabs. <laughs> so, what do you think are the future challenges here? I mean, as you, you know, continue to work on these major facilities uh, for the point sources and, and, and finalize those. And obviously you're going to go back and, and make sure that those are updated throughout. And you're working on the, the bigger, smaller ones, right? The, the major miners that we talked about and that that's on a path to, to be completed here in about 10 years. You're starting your non-point work and continuing that with, with cover crops, maybe some other things, some stormwater controls, where do you think the biggest challenges are to get to where you want to be with the Bay? I think the biggest challenge is to maintain the reduction with growth. I mean, we, we don't want to stop growth. We want, we want a growth. We want businesses to move to Maryland. We want people to move to Maryland. But in the meantime, all that is offsetting the reduction that you're achieving, you know, you get you get more runoff with the growth and and populate and and build up. You get more runoff, uh, so we need to figure out a way where we can get our you know economical and 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 population growth, and at the same time keep the bay 
restored. So I think that's the biggest challenge because how can you achieve both at the same time? I mean, it's achievable, but I think, in my opinion, that's the biggest challenge is how you you can keep the growth going and at the same time keep the the nutrient and the sediment reduction going at the same time. Well, Lead, thank you so much for your time and thanks for joining us on the Clean Water Pod. Okay, thank you. Okay, my name is Cheryl Lewis and I'm the town manager in the town of Oxford, Maryland. Well, Cheryl, thank you so much for joining us on the Clean Water Pod. Well, it's nice to be here. Okay, Cheryl, so tell me a, tell me about Oxford. Let's start there. Okay, well, Oxford is a, a very old town, over 300 years. Um, it's existed on the Chesapeake Bay. It was originally one of the two ports of entry in the state of Maryland for foreign ships. So it's been a port town since its very existence. Um, and it's unique in that we still are mostly historic homes. We're still very small. It's 650 residents. Uh, and our main industry is still waterfront. It's not shipping any longer. It's more tourism um, or destination location, but that's basically 300 years of working on the waterfront. Let me ask you about specifically the Chesapeake Bay. So those that don't know it well or live in a different part of the country, just how important is the bay to the identity of the people that live in Oxford and the people that live in Maryland in general? The Chesapeake Bay is is a very unusual waterway, actually, in our country. It's one of the few that is like it is. Uh, it's it's very large. It has three states around it, and all three states are somewhat dependent, but especially Maryland and Virginia, on the bay. Uh, Washington D.C. is not far from it. Annapolis and in Baltimore both sit on the bay, um, and it is an entry for a lot of people that are coming into any of those states as far as a waterway because they can enter at, at the mouth of the bay, and it's it's a very large water body. And for our purposes, uh, you know, it's what makes the town attractive. It's why people come here, um, and it's also why people like to live here. So in this episode, we've been talking to people that have been involved in what's called the Bay Restoration Fund. So it's been an effort over the last few years to try and upgrade wastewater treatment plants. Uh, and now they're getting into trying to work with non-point sources of pollution so that you can see improvements. So what improvements have you seen as a result of the Bay Restoration Fund and their projects working in the Bay? Let me give you a little, can I give you a little bit of background with my experience yes, with the restoration? Okay. Um, so I've actually been in municipal management for a little over 20 years, um, specifically working with wastewater treatment plant 20 years ago and an upgrade um, before there was a Bay Restoration Fund that was available for that purpose. Uh, so improving septic systems and sewage systems to better serve the Bay itself was a financially extremely difficult. Um, the Bay Restoration Fund, which was set up in Maryland to, to be able to assist communities in upgrading their wastewater treatment, which would then provide a better discharge into the Bay and then by, by doing that, improving the waters of the Bay. So the waters of the Bay and the quality of that water is extremely important. Um, you know, fishing, uh, both for tourism, for recreation, but also for food is, is a major resource here on, on the shores of the Bay. And if the water quality doesn't support that, then it doesn't support, support a lot of the local economy. 
So the Bay Restoration Fund was really the start of a means to address that. Um, and I think my work with the Bay Restoration Fund Advisory Committee has really been probably 10 years or now. I've been, I've been going to it for quite a while. I've been a member of it. Um, so I was well aware of the funding before we actually, as a community, utilized it. Um, I have upgraded plants without the funding. And in the case of Oxford, we were able to upgrade our plant with access to this Bay Restoration Fund. So how big did you say the town of Oxford is? 650 people, 550 homes. So what kind of treatment system do you have for wastewater that you were able to tap into this fund? At the time, before we did a recent upgrade, we had a, a pond system that was kind of a natural system. Um, was certainly state of the art when it was put in place, probably in the 60s and upgraded in the 80s. And we now have what is more of a biological system um, that uses the, the latest technology. We have UV uh, lighting for, um, but for our final stages. So we have a plant that now discharges the best possible discharge directly into the creek. And the previous towns that you were involved with, how big were those? Uh, uh, similar in size. Okay. Similar in size. Yeah. Okay. And the committee that you talked about, how long has that been around? And and what's the makeup of, of a committee like that? So the Bay Restoration Fund is a state of Maryland, um, falls under the Maryland Department of Environment. Uh, and it was set up to establish funding to, to, to do improvements uh, in the area of wastewater, whether it was, you know, septic or sewer systems, that sort of thing. Um, I couldn't give you an exact date, to be honest. I would really be failing at that. I recall when it was put in place because I remember when when we had to start paying the fee. So I would say it was 20 years or less. And it is managed by the state of Maryland. I serve as a one of the members of the advisory committee. So our job is really to review the policies and make, you know, advise the state on how they should move forward with the funding and what they should do with it. Uh, the advisory committee itself is made up of people from a lot of different areas. So it's MDE and their, their representatives, but they have a representative from each of the state departments on there. So there's somebody from planning, somebody from agriculture, all the departments that would be relevant to, to you know, working in the Bay and preserving the water quality there. Um, and then they have representatives from the counties and the towns. So there is one person chosen to represent all of the counties and one person chosen to represent all the municipalities. So I represent the municipalities as a member of the Maryland Municipal League. So they are able to put someone on. And uh, the main reason I think they took somebody like me and asked to serve was because I've worked with a multitude of small municipalities and uh, just have a little bit of a, a varied background in municipal government. Okay, great, that makes sense. So tell me from uh, your direct experience living in this area and being involved in this over the last you know, 10 to 20 years, what have you noticed just as a resident, as someone who sees the, the bay every day, have you noticed a change in the usage and the water quality in you know, the, the amount of food you know, that comes out of it, like the fisheries, like that kind of thing? You know, have, what have you noticed from your personal experience? Uh, so that's a really, it's a really hard one. It's, it, it's certainly hard to separate government from personal um, because we do see how the water, the different ratings for different areas of the Bay and whether it's improving or not improving. I think over time, we've certainly seen improvement. Uh, 
as far as the fishery and it's complicated it's there's never one easy fix i mean a lot of that stuff is monitored because they're also looking at volume of crabs or volume of oysters that sort of thing so there's a lot of moving parts i think the thing that would be different now is in in the last 20 years I, there's a lot more concern i think there's a lot more people paying attention and a lot more people actually working towards doing the best we can for the bay uh, most of our our efforts are all certainly centered out of maryland um, i think virginia has a fairly strong program too, but I don't know that there's as much coordination between, at least at our levels, between the different states. I do know that there is in a higher level, but I feel like Maryland really has has gone out there to try and do everything possible. So we know that most of the major wastewater treatment facilities have had updates uh, with the help of the Bay Restoration Fund, and they're getting to the point where they're conducting the last few updates that are out there. They've been working on some of the bigger, minor uh, plants mm -hmm. that are out there. And so it seems like that progress for the point source side of things has been really productive and has, has gotten pretty far down the line. The new venture here is to, to get into the non-point source of things. What do you know about that? What do you know about uh, people taking advantage of funding to help reduce non-point uh, sources of pollution from Maryland agriculture? So from the agriculture point of view, I mean, I know we, they've already been in the program for a while. There's, uh, you know, there's there's some crop management uh, elements of the program um, working with the the agriculture community. Uh, and but I think we're we're also moving into um, doing doing a better job with our stormwater discharge, and I think that's the area that that really will be the next place the Bay Restoration money kind of lands. Uh, it started with wastewater, has always incorporated a piece of agriculture, and and now I think moving into this stormwater. Stormwater management's a funny thing, but in our case, as is everybody on the coast, all of our stormwater eventually does end up in a river or a creek. So how that stormwater runs off and what it takes with it into the waters of the bay is what's really relevant. And we're seeing a push now to be able to use this type of funding to better manage our stormwater, which will help us with resilience onshore and on land, but will also help with the quality of our runoff. So that's sort of the next frontier for the Bay Restoration Fund in your mind is to, to really try to address this urban stormwater issue. I, I think that's the real direction uh, because we've been so successful, you know, with with going through the plants. There's still minor plants out there that, you know, can be addressed. It's 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 hard for small communities. I understand why they're hesitant to jump in. But once those plants are addressed, we do need to keep looking at what else is going into the bay. What else is, is affecting the water quality and, and stormwater runoff is just probably a big one. Not as bad as which you might get out of wastewater, but it's still a runoff issue. It still carries sediment into the bay, which then affects the quality. What would you say to other parts of the country that look at this model and, you know, are envious of maybe the progress that has happened, even though, you know, there's still a long ways to go to get Chesapeake back to where it maybe was historically? What, what sort of advice would you give other people that are looking into this type of approach? So as someone who sits in my job, it's it's really all about a tax or not a tax. Um, so everything in reality, whether it's a fee, like this is called a fee, or a service charge, or it's all basically public looks at as a tax. And a tax is always viewed as kind of a negative. Um, I think what's important is if you're going to be charged a tax or a fee or some some type of a, you know, financially based a charge, 
it's good to be able to see what it's doing and understand what it's doing. And I think the great thing about the Bay Restoration Fund is, is you can qualify what it's actually doing. You can see it happening. Communities can see it in their in their towns. Like we did our upgrade and we were real clear to say, you know, we got this much money from the Bay Restoration Fund and remind people, you know, that $2.50 or which now $5 that you pay, that that's that's where this came from. Your $5 a month now is upgrading your own facility. Um, and I think that helps the public to understand, to see that benefit. So I think anybody that is is has a concern or needs to address something, always try to keep that in mind. Figure out what you need to address. Figure out how to make it part of the public's understanding and let them be part of the solution. And that's that's what makes this fund. I know when it came out, it was it was crazy. It was just a total panic. Everybody was so upset. Why were they charging us this fee? It had nothing to do with anything. And it was very difficult because if you're on a septic system, you look at everything totally different than if you're paying into a municipal system every month. Um, and everybody had to pay into this fee. And in the end, everybody benefits, even if it's not on their own property, they're benefiting by the quality of the, of the bay. So it, it it was a great approach. I don't know that I was really on board with it day one, but I can certainly sit here today and say, you know, it, it is a successful approach and a means of actually accomplishing something and being financially responsible as they went through the process. Anything else about the about the bay or the fund? Yeah. So, well, the bay, it, it's a it's it's a place people want to live. There isn't any part of the Chesapeake Bay that you don't find small populations of people that really want to live on it. We're we're very rural still out here on the eastern shore and even on the on the western shore of the bay. It's rural land. It's mostly farmland and waterman communities. So it's not extremely populated because we don't really have large cities and large employment centers. And for a long time, it was a place people came to visit or vacation. Things have changed in our country and we're seeing a lot more people, but right now it's still rural, it's still pleasant, and the water is just part of it. The bay is is why everyone comes here. Uh, we certainly have other pieces of Maryland that are on the ocean, a different environment altogether, but everybody kind of claims their piece of the Chesapeake Bay and everybody knows what crabs are from, you know, in our area. Everybody knows where their oysters come from. It's just part of our lifestyle. Okay, that's it for episode three of the season. I want to thank Kathy, Bob, Waleed, and Cheryl for talking to us about the Bay Restoration Fund. I found it really fascinating. Join us next month for episode four as we head up to New Hampshire, where we're going TMDL to table. There's a little teaser there. If you have any questions about this or future episodes, please get in touch. You can find us on Twitter at CleanWaterPod or send me an email at CleanWaterPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, what questions you may have, and what you'd like to hear on the pod. Until next time, thanks for listening.